Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome to episode 68 of the Reliability Matters podcast. My name is Mike Conrad. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast. In fact, I'd like to say hello from Mexico. Hola desde Mexico. I am on vacation, and that might explain some of the birds chirping in the background and some of the other uh, interesting noises you might hear. There's your explanation. This episode, number 68, and the next episode, number 69, will be a little bit different. My fellow podcasters within this industry, Chris Denny of Worthington Assembly and Melissa Hogue of Circuit Hub, host a podcast called the Pick Place Podcast, where I was their guest. The subject was cleaning circuit assemblies to improve reliability. They asked terrific questions, and we had a very entertaining conversation, which spanned two parts, two episodes. So this is the first of two episodes featuring our conversation. Part two will air as episode 69 in two weeks. First, a little bit about their respective companies. Circuit Hub is on a mission to fix rapid electronics prototyping. They are the first automated electronics factory built around a modern tech stack. They help hardware companies produce self-driving cars, satellites, 3D printers, robotics, and to more rapidly prototype electronics to get them to market faster. Worthington is a high-tech electronics manufacturer with nearly 50 years of experience. Their state-of-the-art facility in South Deerfield, Massachusetts, is capable of handling high-tech complex boards at both small volume and production runs. You can learn more about Circuit Hub and Worthington in the show notes. Now, here's my conversation with Chris Denny and Melissa Hogue. Welcome to the Pick Place Podcast, the show where we talk about electronics manufacturing and everything related to getting a circuit board into the world. This is Chris Denny with Worthington. And this is Melissa Hogue with Circuit Hub. Welcome back, Melissa. Welcome back, Chris. I am very, very excited for this week's episode. I want to get right into it because we have uh, Mike Conrad, the founder and president of Aqueous Technologies on the show, and we're going to pick his brain all about cleaning circuit boards, which I know almost nothing about. And I think I probably (laughs) know even less than you, so (laughs) it will be a very informational episode for both of us. So uh, the cool thing is Mike, is a, he's a fellow podcaster. He hosts a show called, a, a, a related show, I should say. He has a couple mm-hmm. shows, but a related show called Reliability Matters, which is really geared towards like people like me who actually build stuff uh, and don't design things. But uh, it's still a still an interesting show. And I think there's a lot of good information that our, our listeners might be uh, keen to hear. So if they want, they can... Uh, look that up in their podcast app and follow along. Reliability matters. Uh, but Mike, welcome to the show. And uh, thanks so much for thanks for so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Melissa. Good to be here. Thanks for the show plug as well. It's yeah. Nice, well, it's nice on, to absolutely. talk to a fellow podcaster. And it's yeah. uh, it's unusual to be on this side of the microphone. So usually True. I'm the one yeah. having to think right. of the question. So I'm, I feel very chill and relaxed. And you know, there you go. It's great. Well, that makes one. I think that makes uh, two of us because I doubt Melissa's children relax. She's just thinking about all the editing she's going to have to do after this. <laughs> right. These two guys well, who we'll try not go to off make on too tangents. many mistakes, go off on too many tangents. <laughs> exactly. Chris. Uh, <laughs> she's not buying it. <laughs> so let me tell you about the time. 
<laughs> so Mike, the reason the timing is really good for this, well, for, for us anyway, is because anybody who has been a customer for Worthington or for Circuit Hub, they probably already know that we basically do not offer the service of cleaning circuit boards. We, we build everything using no clean flux. And if your application fits that production build, then you're going to be a happy customer because you're going to save a lot of money because you don't have to go through the cleaning process. You don't have to deal with all that. Uh, but not everybody fits that mold. And so we're getting more and more customers now that saying, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to use you guys, but I need my boards cleaned. And we're like, here's, here's a handful of other shops you can talk to. Unfortunately, we can't help you with that. But uh, sales team being as they are, they don't want to keep saying no to their customers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so well, we got it doesn't it doesn't exist in the vocabulary of most salespeople, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I uh, I I was one, and I have the bruises to prove it. That's for sure. Um, and it is hard to say no. It's so easy to say no for us on the production side because we're just like, you want to do that? What? <laughs> no, we are not going to do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, if you say no to everything, then you don't have much of a business anymore. So we want to be able to offer cleaning services to our customer. And if you're listening to this, uh, as we publish it, very likely we are not prepared to take orders for cleaned boards yet, but that will be changing in 2021. And, uh, we are currently, you know, looking for equipment and processes to help us with that. But I figured before we figure out what machine to buy, uh, we should probably figure out what the heck we're doing because well, at least I personally don't know enough <laughs> about cleaning circuit boards. And Chris, you, you are not in the minority there. Yeah. You are in yeah. the majority. I like to say there's there's two groups of people. There are, let's set up a scenario where the big boss comes downstairs from the ivory tower, looks at you oh, engineers yeah. and says, we got to do some cleaning. Chris, find us a cleaner. And sure. Chris, the young millennial, says, "Mike, get me a cleaner." <laughs> Chris goes, "Dude," says to his boss, "Dude, it says no clean, man. What are we? What are we? What are you talking about? We don't yeah. see this jar. No see this jar? It says no clean. Right. We haven't cleaned since eight tracks were popular, right? Yeah. And then he turns to the old guy who's a day or two from retirement, the old sage, right? And and he says, "You know, find me a cleaner." And he goes, "I know exactly Dave. what to do." Boss, I'm going to go out and buy a vapor degreaser, fill it with 111 trichloroethane. Oh, and, trichlor. And, um, and I'll get you in the cleaning business, you know, and then, you know, goes out and, you know, teletypes his wife to say, I'm on my way home. There's either obsolete information or no information. That's Dude, tri trichlor is the worst. Trichlor is, it, that stuff stinks. Yeah. It is the worst. Or is trichlor the same as Solvon or are those two different things? I don't know. My guess is there were two primary solvents used back in the day. And and, yeah. and that day is defined as pre-1989. That's kind of what I'm thinking. 99. Yeah. So yeah. between 1989 and 99, these solvents were, were uh, phased out. And due to a treaty signed by originally 11 countries called the Montreal Protocol, that was an No, treaty. sir. I didn't know that. I had oh, no yes. idea about oh, that. Oh, let's go there then. Um, let's do it. Yeah. It turned out that scientists discovered through satellite technology that the ozone layer was depleting. And, yes. you know, our current buzzword today is climate change. Before yeah. climate change, it was global warming. And then, yeah. and then they decided to call it climate change because some people were like, it's cold. How can it be yeah. global warming? So they just said, okay, climate change. <laughs> yeah. And then before global warming, climate change, there was ozone depletion. Right. And the ozone was getting eaten up. And there's, Basically, two causes of the ozone layer getting eaten up. One is natural, 
Mm-hmm, cows, mm-hmm. without getting into too much detail, cows <laughs> are a huge contributor to methane gas and yeah. depletion of the ozone. Uh, and the other is man. Oh, volcanoes are there too. The other is man. And it turned right. out that the chlorine molecules that are used in these popular solvents would just go right up to the upper atmosphere. And they were like little Pac-Men. They would just gnaw on the, uh, the uh, ozone layer. Sure. So 11 countries signed a treaty in Montreal, hence the Montreal Protocol. In mm-hmm. 1989, that provided a 10-year phase-out. And it was interesting. Instead of making the product illegal to buy right away, they, they made it illegal to manufacture after right. 10 years. So supply and demand, a lot of the companies got out of that business early because they could see it was, you know, was going to go yeah. away. Yeah. So what ended up being, at the time, I used to sell vapor degreasers, which were the, the technology that used those solvents. And um, we used uh, uh, Freon TMS, which was similar to Tricolor. It was a, it was a solvent. Boil it a little okay. temperature. Freon, that's that's like a brand. That's like Freon the DuPont is a brand. product of DuPont. Yes. Yeah. It's a, trade, yeah. a trademark of DuPont. And it's it's a refrigerant and a solvent. So you see it yep. in air conditioning systems and your refrigerator, and, and it was also a solvent. Oh, man. Poor Melissa. I'm about to go off on a tangent. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Don't edit it out. So R is that R twelve? Is that like the shorthand for R12 this? R twelve is is a refrigerant, uh, a particular type of refrigerant that's used in air conditioning systems. Right, because I had not to bore the listeners if they've heard me tell this story before, but I ended up getting the kegerator from the tasting laboratory of a giant Miller brewery that went out of business in upstate New York, and it required it was built in nineteen seventy six, and it requires R twelve refrigerant in order to operate, yeah. and. Uh, you know, the, the old sage in, in our factory, his name is Brad. And he, in, I forget what year it was like 1996 or something like that. He was at uh, BJ's and they had a case. It was like December 31st, 1996 or whatever the year was. And they had a case of R12 refrigerant for a dollar a can because as of January 1st, they couldn't sell it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up getting that can and putting it in my system. And when I showed it to my friend who uh, – here, I'm, 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 make, I'm making it relate again. When I showed it to my friend who uh, is – he works in uh, HVAC, he looked at that. He goes, how how did you get this? This like doesn't exist. I have no idea how I'm holding this in my hand right now, but I'll put it in your system for you. <laughs> yeah. We used to get – because we built and sold uh, vapor degreasers – we used to get the Freon for free from DuPont, right? So they'd send us- Free? Free. We have 55-gallon barrel. This is before it was phased out. This was probably- How do they make any money just giving you Freon? Well, because we are a manufacturer of machines and we put a little sign saying, you know, when we ran demos, we'd say it's filled with it's filled with uh, uh, DuPont, sure. you know, Freon sure. 111 uh, or okay. uh, Freon TMS. And then you go out and buy it, right? So it was just a, a sample, right? For Yeah, like yeah. A, we didn't sell the material, but it was just a good faith sample. So we used to get the, a 55-gallon drum for free. But they charge us $30 as a deposit on the drum because they wanted the drum back, right? <laughs> sure. The last price I saw uh, in the late 90s, probably 97, 98, was about $12,000 for that same drum. Oh, my God. Plus a $30 drum deposit. <laughs> $12,000 for the same drum. That was supply and demand. So what happened is during that 10-year phase out, uh, a couple things happened. Um, one was pretty significant. Right now we live, and this is not a political show, obviously, so I'm not going to go sure. down that road, but we live in a, I think it's safe to say, we live in a very polarized society, right? Yeah. You are red For or sure. blue, you are this or that, you are mask or no mask, or whatever, everything is right. polarized. And back then, 
we would do a treaty and countries that agreed with the concept of that treaty would sign on. Right now, if we tried to make a treaty that said, let's agree that the sun goes up in the morning and goes down at night, we could not get all 211 nations of the United Nations to agree to that, right? Someone would be a holdout, right? Because the Finns would be like, ah, not in the northern part of our country, it doesn't, yeah. (laughs) But, um, But in this case, all... All UN member countries signed on to this environmental treaty. All. Holy There's cow. There's only been two treaties in the history of UN treaties that all countries have signed on to. One that's was that's crazy to think about. And it's an environmental oh, no treaty. And it's wow. an environmental yeah. treaty, right? Which is what year crazier. is this again? Well, it was, uh, it was signed in 89. They've been working 89. on it for a few years. Signed in 89 okay. and then uh, fully in effect in 99. So for that – Because one thing, one thing I learned about the UN, which makes this all the more impressive that they all signed off on it, every single country in the world belongs to the UN except for three. There's only three countries that don't belong to the UN. One is Taiwan because there's a dispute well, as to their sovereignty. China says they're not a country. And right, they say they exactly. Are, right? The other one is in a very similar situation with another country and it's – hurting my brain to think about who it is. And I, I apologize if we have a listener from there, but that'd be interesting if we did. And the third is the Vatican. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, yes, that's true. Yes. Technically right. a country within a country. Uh, yeah. But anyway, basically every country is in it. So what you're saying is all but the Pope basically signed this treaty. <laughs> yeah, the Pope. Yeah. yeah. So what happens when something tremendous like this happens? So back in the day, Back when we had actually real print magazines that we used mm-hmm. to run real print ads in, you know, before mm-hmm. the internet, um, on the cover of these magazines, it would say 12 months to the Montreal Protocol, and then the next month, 11 months, and then 10, 9, 8, 10, and no one believed it would actually happen. It would be like wow. the EPA coming down and going, okay, guys, um, starting in 10 years, no more gasoline. Sure. Yeah. No more gasoline, no more, no more fossil fuel. We would... We would just go to sleep at night going, yeah, they're going to poke holes. We would just laugh. 10 years, it would be perforated and and come up with all these exceptions. It didn't happen. didn't happen. So all the magazines predicted, this is the end of first world, you know, manufacturing. Just the the dirty countries of the world will will continue to build boards and we'll be at a disadvantage. Well, that didn't happen. So necessity being the mother of invention, what happened? No clean flux comes along. So instead of arguing, how are we going to clean our boards? These guys from Multicore, actually, with their X32. Sure, uh, sure. Come up Back then, everything started with an X or Turbo, right? Oh, yeah. Turbo, those yeah. X. Oh, yeah. So they, they'd come up with um, this flux, that, and they said, it's, don't worry about how you're going to clean it. Just use this. You don't have to clean it at all. Okay, so let me, let me pause you there, because I, th- that, that brings up a number of questions for me. So let's, let's go back now, because one of the things that I, I – I don't know that our listeners understand well enough, or, or if they do understand, perhaps they'd appreciate a reinforcement. My understanding is there there's sort of two classifications of flux, and then there's and then you know the tree branches from there. But there's sort of your your water soluble residue fluxes, and then your not water soluble right? rosin based rosin based, yeah. which no clean is is a branch off of rosin based. At the end of the day, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good characterization. And then when it comes to activity levels, there's further branches off of rosin because there's rosin mildly activated, which is shorthand RMA, and then there's rosin activated, which is just RA, and then and there's just uh, R. 
Yeah. Or just are, right? Right. So nobody uses it. Yeah. Right. So we're talking 1989 still, and it's it's the heyday of of free cans of Freon. <laughs> what <laughs> what are people like Chris Denny and Melissa using on their boards? What is the popular chemistries to solder boards with? Sure. Back time? in those days, uh, if you were doing military type work, you were probably sure. running an RMA, rosin mildly okay. activated. I think that's so you were using mildly activated at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. No okay. one used the R or RA. It was all RMA. That's is that just for like soldering copper pipe or something? What what was the R? No, that for? would probably be uh, that would probably be OA or or, or synthetic flux SA. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's you know battery acid. But um, <laughs> the, the if you were doing military type work, you were running an uh, RMA, which I think by today's IPC definitions is an ROLO. Uh, and uh, whoa, whoa, if, whoa, not everybody knows what you mean by that. You oh, got to explain yourself now. Oh gosh, no, I'm gonna. <laughs> so IPC decided. <laughs> Yeah, in infinite wisdom that uh, we need more designations on flux type. So, of course, instead of the three basic ones which you've described, or actually four: yeah. OA, organic acid, water soluble; yes. uh, RMA, uh, rosin mildly activated, which was ninety yep. percent of the rosin market, and then okay. RA and R. Um, they would come up with these different de- designations, whether they yes. were halide free or they had halides, and and the level of activity and the and and whether it's a water soluble or a rosin. They came up with a different uh, nomenclature. For it, so R O L O, and I forget what R rosin. I got that yeah. one, uh, and then one of them is, I believe, whether it has halides or, and the level of activity. So I, I don't yes. remember. I don't have the chart in front of me, but they came up with a different uh, designation for it. Which it's uh, like a rating system almost. It is. Like, it's a rating system. Yeah. It tells you more things about the the flux based on its four letter um, uh, nomenclature than the the prior did. It, it gives you more information. It gives the engineer more information to make an appropriate choice. But, I'll try to, I'll try to dig up some info on that and put it in the show notes for anybody yeah, who yeah, wants to. Yeah. It's easy to yeah. find. It's easy to yeah. find. Um, so if you were doing military type work, you were running a rosin flux. If you were doing commercial type work, um, you would be running a, a water soluble flux, organic acid OA. So if you were running a rosin flux, you were probably cleaning in a solvent. Yeah. Uh, more right. than likely you could have been using a, like a dishwasher type early aqueous machine with a saponifier, but you were probably running a solvent with a vapor diffuser. And if you were, if you were uh, doing commercial work, say class one, class two type work, again, the IPC standards, class three is, you know, stuff that can't fail or bad things happen. Class two is machines that need to be dependable, but nobody dies if they fail. And class one is, um, cheap stuff, right? Yeah. Remote controls, toys, toys, uh, electronic flea collars, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, if you were doing uh, class one, class two, you, there's a fair chance you'd be water soluble and you'd clean it in an inline uh, water only cleaner or a, a batch type cleaner, like a dishwasher type cleaner or a kitchen yep, sink that, or something. That's where I came from. So when I yeah. first got in the industry in the late nineties, that's, we had an inline water, I believe it was water only cleaner and we did everything with organic acid. And I remember the transition to not cleaning anymore in this new no clean flux. It was it was a big deal. <laughs> oh, it was a get out of jail free card in Monopoly. It yeah. was it was yeah. an amazing yeah, escape. Now, about this is not a scientific number, but I think it's I think it's an arguably defense uh, defendable number. Mm-hmm. About probably fifteen to twenty percent of the electronic mm-hmm. assembly industry is high rel military space medical, and the remaining majority is commercial stuff class one that's class right two, right that's probably a defendable number 
Absolutely. I, I you use the Pareto principle and you can defend it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so the 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 larger group, the majority group of class one, class two, stopped cleaning. I mean, we saw and now we started our business building cleaners in nineteen ninety two. So we hadn't hit the phase out yet. Okay. I can't think of a worse time to get into a business where you're building Seriously. a product that eighty percent of the market will no longer need. Right. That's right. So uh that was interesting. But we started from zero, so we didn't. It's not like we lost any business, right? We just started from zero, so anything is good. So, our our market basically, and anyone who built cleaners, their market was to sell to the military type people, people who were running um, products that needed to be cleaned or bad things happen. Yep. And then everyone else went on. You know, they they partied like it was 1999 because it was 1999, <laughs> and. They were listening to Prince. And they were listening to Prince. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I remember I remember the millennial uh, New Year. Yeah, we oh, yeah. Like it was 1999. That song played all night long. But, yep. um, but at any rate, most people stopped cleaning. So there's three groups of people regarding cleaning. Those who used to clean, which mm -hmm. was almost everybody, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. few exceptions. Then those who are only doing high rel work. And that was the from 1999 to probably 2005. That's mm -hmm, pretty much mm -hmm. the only people who cleaned. And now, and then now there's a third group, which is everybody else coming back to cleaning. People yes. like you, Chris, that are going. My customers are asking for this, yep. and we have to tell them no. Uh, there is a very fast-moving tsunami, without making it sound too dramatic, that is approaching. And has oh, this does sound terrifying. It sounds terrifying. You should just come buy a cleaner now. I mean, Chris. tsunamis are terrifying. And then if they move fast, I mean. Yeah. But it, it's happening fast. And, you know, we've seen, you know, I've, I've been in this industry since 85, mm -hmm. 1985, not 1885, mm -hmm. 1985. I've been on this planet since 1984. So we have something in common. There you go. So you right. were one when I entered this business. <laughs> and little knowing you'd be destined to, to be in this business. <laughs> so I've seen, you know, I've seen everyone clean. I've seen virtually no one clean. And, and now we're seeing, I can't say we're back to pre-89 levels, but we're mm -hmm. probably 70% of the way back to pre-89 levels. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the majority, we do polls all the time. I love polling. And we have to be careful when we do polls because we, we do polls during our, our webinars. And our webinars are on the subject of cleaning and cleanliness modification. One of the, one of the shocking uh, results we had in one of our polls is we asked our, our attendees of our various workshops and webinars, um, what, if you're running no clean, what percentage of the no clean product do you clean? Mm -hmm. And that number, we've been asking that question for years. And that number started off with about 20, 25%. And then a couple of years later, it was 30 or 40%. Now it's 60 plus percent. Which holy moly! Wait, no, I, I don't think our customers are any different than someone else, and we're not asking a, a loaded question. It's a fair question. It's like if you're running no clean, how how much of that no clean are you cleaning? And it is consistently above sixty percent right now, which tells me more than half of of people running no clean are cleaning it, and that begs the question: why? Why? Why are you cleaning? Yeah. And, and the challenge we have in the cleaning world and the challenge our customers have is they think if they need to clean, they're admitting defeat. They must be sure. doing something wrong because mm -hmm. just like that tag on your mattress that says penalty, don't tear off this tag. 
<laughs> they, they read the label on the flux jar and it says no clean. And what they mm -hmm. hear is don't clean. Right. So if you have a product that doesn't require cleaning, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and then you clean it, you got to go to your boss. You got to go. Yeah. Yeah. I know I sold you on no clean, you know, 20 years ago, but now we have to clean it. But it's not a defeat. One of the things I, I used to get beat up a little bit when I'd go around the world and give lectures about, about cleaning, I'd always have a flux manufacturer in the back going, you know, raising their hand going, our stuff's inert. Our stuff is not, we're not the problem. Right. And, and I, I would disagree with the flux is inert. I would agree with they're not the problem. Right. It's not inert. So, so, so if, if I can, if I can pause you at the, yeah. on that point, because I want to talk a little bit more about the chemistry before we talk into, we get into the why we're cleaning it. Sure. Because uh, my understanding is, and, 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 and I'd love to be corrected and I, I love to learn that I'm wrong because uh, it happens to me all the time. I better start to learn to love it. Right. Um, you have, again, the organic acid, which has to be clean. That stuff's got to be cleaned. Within you're an hour for, or so. Yeah. yeah yes. You're in trouble if you don't clean that. It's a time clock. Yeah. And then, and then there's the other, the other chemistries that can sit around a while and then be clean later. No clean is more or less a marketing term, correct? For, for basically rosin based chemistry that looks good enough that people aren't bothered by the aesthetics of it, but it's otherwise very similar to the other chemistries. Is that true or is that not it's, true? It's Somewhat true. Um, okay. So it's more than a marketing term. I, okay. I remember a, a, a flux manufacturer saying, no clean doesn't mean don't clean. No clean yes. means if you're not going to clean, this is the type of flux you need to select. There you go. Okay. That's a and good way of putting it. It doesn't That's mean a good way clean it. It doesn't mean yeah. not clean it. They're, yeah. I mean, it was designed not to be cleaned originally. That's right. But their, their take isn't whether you should clean it or not. They're just saying, if you're not going to clean it, you cannot use an OA. If you're not going to clean it, you cannot use an RMA. If you're not going to clean it, you have to use a no clean. So an RMA could could be dangerous to leave on the board. It could cause reliability issues Well, the yes, way that no that, clean wouldn't. Yes and no, but okay. more, more yes. So more if, yes. If you, more so than no clean, I guess is my point. Yeah. Back in the day when televisions were made in Mexico – now they're made yeah. in China. But back yep. in the day when when all the major manufacturers built in Mexico, if you got an old tube TV, I'm not talking about an LCD TV or, or yeah. uh, OLED TV, I'm talking about a tube TV. If you opened up the back of it, you would see these circuit boards um, with tubes and all that sticky, covered yes. in flux. They wouldn't yes. clean them at all. It was like a poor man's conformal coating. Okay. And all the dust bunnies and everything that oh, yeah. you know, would stick to it, right? It was gross. But- but back in the day, components were miles apart, They're relatively huge. speaking. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you could not get electrochemical migration, which we can talk about in, in a little bit. We could not get that phenomenon when, when these components, when the conductors, the cathodes and anodes were, were inches apart. And mm -hmm. now they're mils apart, but then mm -hmm. they're inches apart. So you can just leave a bunch of crap on the board and it's not going to cause a problem. Um, today there aren't really any relevant board designs 
any conventional board designs that can handle that amount of residue between conductors mm-hmm. because the conductors you mean a point three millimeter pitch is is that's probably too, not gonna too, yeah you probably can't have a dirty <laughs> thought around a, a <laughs> component like that because it'll fail like that oh how many times have you used that joke please tell me like hundreds of times uh, well you know i am sitting next to a soundboard so i it's <laughs> 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 perfect yeah so so th- today it's all about residue tolerance. It's not about whether the, the no clean flux is detrimental. It's not about that because mm-hmm. the flux is, well, let me go back a little bit. When we, when no clean flux first came out, I like to call it the contract with no clean. We had a implied contract, contract with, no with no clean. Okay. And it wasn't written. It was only inferred. It was implied. And the two promises that we were given were that the residues would be invisible Yep. And the invisible residues would be benign. Okay. okay. Yes. That, that, is the, that is the claim. That's the yeah. claim. It's yeah. invisible or near invisible. And near invisible. even if you see something, don't worry about it. It's fine. Right. And that was a fairly true statement back in the day. But like any contract, fine print. And mm-hmm. we didn't read the fine print. And I'm making mm-hmm. analogies here, obviously. There was no yeah. real contract. But the fine print was... As long as boards look like they looked when no clean flux first came on the scene. So no clean flux came on the scene somewhere between 89, 87, 90, right around there. And what do you think boards looked like then? Axial leaded components. Oh, yeah. Right? ICs. They were all, I mean, surface mount was just making its appearance. But surface mount back then was basically... A dip with the leads turned ninety degrees. You know, it was that's not exactly right. High pitch. smushed, smushed down. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and the, the 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 pitch between the leads was huge. You can drive yeah. a Mack truck under these components, and, and the standoff heights were huge. So what they said was accurate, totally accurate. And then what's happened over the last thirty years or so? We start miniaturizing, right? We mm-hmm. we we put conductors closer together where you just can't see light between the conductors now. Mm-hmm. So the amount of tolerable residue, all boards can handle residue, but the question is how much of that residue is tolerable. And that tolerance changes when the pitch gets smaller, when the standoff mm-hmm. height gets smaller, uh, when the voltage is higher mm-hmm. and when the boards yeah. are exposed to more moisture in harsh environments, right? Yes. All of these, this is a perfect storm. We now have boards that are as miniaturized as they've ever been in our history. We now take those boards and put them through IoT in things that never had boards in them before. Yep. We have the electrification of cars, which yep. is putting these not just infotainment, luxury, quirky. No, it's the know, safety system it's now. Safety, exactly. Yeah. And we can we can get a whole podcast about that. that. Oh boy! You know, I I have two cars: a '68 Mustang and a and a 2018 GM product. My and, my dad had a '68 Mustang oh, too. That's great a great cars. car. Yeah. But you know what happens if 100 percent of, of the electronics in that car fails, Chris? Melissa, I can't listen to the AM radio. I was I gonna say it's the only electronics. Everything else is. Electronic. It depends. I was gonna say it depends on if you include the spark plugs as an electronic component. <laughs> I don't count that. I don't count the rotor and the the points. I count that as electrical. Yeah. But but sure. um, on my other car, if the electronics fail, oh my god. I have adaptive cruise control. It might not break. It might yep. accelerate. I have lane departure where it actually grabs my wheel and recenters me. What if that yep. fails? 
What if my rear collision avoidance, front of collision avoidance, blind spot indicators fail, right? It's not just yep. the seat massagers or the heaters or the ventilators it's, it's, or, or the Sirius XM radio. It's safety stuff. Yeah. And where do we take our cars? We take them into harsh environments. And we're building mm-hmm. these boards with the finest pitch as with everything close together with higher That's voltages. Crazy. And the amount of tolerance for residue today is extremely, extremely low. Mm-hmm. So why would someone use no clean if they concede they have to clean it? I wouldn't use any other. Well, maybe I would use maybe an OA if I was going to clean sure. everything right away because OA fluxes are very forgiving. You can solder oh, wood awesome. together with OA. Yeah, right? seriously. It's ridiculous. But, but outside of that, um, I recommend that people use keep using no clean. No clean is not our competition in the cleaning right. business. It's our ally. And the reason I recommend staying with no clean is because I don't – I could be wrong on this, but I think I'm, I'm fairly right. Uh, I don't think a new advance in – Flux technology has come out in rosins or water solubles in 20 years. Maybe they've refined them a little bit, but nothing breathtaking. Every day, these solder companies, flux companies, are refining no, yes. no clean. Every, every day. day. Every mm-hmm. day. And, and they're constantly tweaking it and making them better and better and better. So they're the most- Well, you, you, you said earlier, 80% of the industry is using no clean that's the market. That's what they're going to keep targeting absolutely. and keep working on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're not going to yeah. come out with the, the latest eight track stereo, you know, when everyone's listening to iPods, right. They're, they're going to, they're going to continue. Mike, you know, the streaming Mike, service. no, nobody listens to iPods. Come on. This well, that's is true. This is iPhones, <laughs> Androids. That's true. That's true. You dated me. You dated me. You so this is the so, non-millennial guest. That's on the show. So like, <laughs> the, the one thing, the one thing I find interesting is I have, you know, um, uh, there's, there's no video to this show, but I'm, we can see each other. So I have my iPhone in my hand here and the, the amount of technology packed into this is, I truly blows my mind, especially as somebody who makes stuff for a living. I am, I'm flabbergasted every time I pick this thing up. I cannot believe they fit everything into this that they fit into this. So when you talk about super fine pitch and you talk about um, just insanely uh, small miniaturization, it doesn't get much smaller than that. I mean, sure, pacemakers and some other things that that definitely do get smaller. But for the mass market, that is a really, really tiny circuit board. My understanding is that is still a no clean flux product. I believe there are still residues on on those boards. When you're making... 50 million or something. <laughs> That's a whole lot of chemistry and a whole lot of water. And we want to make sure we don't have to do that. So I, I guess I'm, I'm speaking out, not, not in defense of, cause I don't think you're attacking no clean. You're certainly oh, not. No. You, you said earlier, it's your ally, yeah, right? It, it has an important place. And one thing I want customers to understand is, you know, if you're, if your product is working right now with no clean, you should probably keep using no clean. Absolutely. It's going to be in your best interest Absolutely. to keep using no clean. Because cleaning, yeah. if you if you clean a part that has residues, that uh, um, potentially harmful residues, you make your part more reliable. But yes. if you don't clean your part well, you make oh, your part way worse. less reliable. You yes. are better off, and it's not too many contexts, you'll hear me say this, you're better off not cleaning at all than cleaning poorly. That's right. So one of the reasons that Apple, is so true. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it. Um, yeah. one of the reasons Apple, Samsung, 
if LG's still selling. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the they reasons make they can, you know, you heard of DFM, you know, designed for manufacturability. Yes. This is designed for non-cleanability. Yes. If you are able yes. to make 50 million products a year, all the same, you can design out the need for cleaning. You can actually That's right. build dams around bottom terminated components with masks. You can do these little mechanical tricks. You can control the voltage in certain areas. You can control the spacing to a certain degree um, because it's an open, it's a clean slate. You can start with that goal in mind to not clean. And if you have the the luxury of this economy of scale, then it you can afford to engineer out a process that will save mm-hmm. you millions. It's like, you know, the, the American Airlines took the paint many years ago off their planes. Yeah. And they save millions of dollars a year in, in fuel. And mm-hmm. I, this may be an urban legend. I'd love to believe it's true, but it sounds ridiculous. But, but it's a common urban legend anyway, that they even took the, mar- the olives out of the martinis. Right. Right. To save or the, fuel. Or the salads or something like yes, that. Yeah. To save fuel. Right. So they yeah. have this giant economy of scale. And the phone companies, you know, the cell phone manufacturers, all that have the same thing. Now, it's interesting. Several years ago, I was presenting at the Cleaning and Coding Conference, IPC uh, and SMTA Cleaning and Coding Conference. It was in Chicago. And by the way, a little plug, SMTA Cleaning and Coding Conference is happening in Dallas this October. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, they uh, uh, research in motion. Blackberry. Remember that, yes. Chris? You're very young to remember Blackberry. I had a Blackberry. Okay, I had three you. Blackberries. I was a Blackberry fanatic until I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Me too. Um, I even had a Storm. You remember that oh, pile yes, of yes. something? Yeah, that was that was a piece of junk it product. Totally, they, <laughs> I miss my keyboard to this day, but that's, you know, that's an old man thing. Sure. But they actually gave a paper where they had to talk about, they had to clean a board. They had to clean their boards. And like your blackberry they were they were the apple of the day right of course and, yeah they were huge yeah and um i'm like why would they have to clean they have this economy of scale all the things we just talked about well they had a problem with solderability they couldn't get soldered wet on a particular component no kidding and they f- determined that the cause was silicone silicon mold release mm-hmm, on the component mm-hmm. reels that mm-hmm. transferred to the component and if you really want to punk no your, your colleague way. put a little silicone on, on a lead and watch them try and solder it. The solder will oh, repel, uh, right? It'll run yes. the opposite direction. This, this is what happened. So they had to rescue clean a bunch of, a bunch of boards um, and probably fire their supplier and find a new yeah, one. Yeah, I would say. But it's not often you see people like that. But mere mortals like us and like mm-hmm. the, all of your customers probably and, mm-hmm. and, and mine uh, are in a, a time where the tolerance for residue is at the lowest it's ever been. Okay. the introduction of no clean. So do they need to clean? Maybe not. And to your point, and I totally agree with this, is if you don't need to clean, if it ain't broke, don't introduce something new. You know, there's yeah. a couple rules of thumb. Don't change things that don't need to be changed and don't do repair on things that don't need to be repaired. Amen, right? brother. I mean, if it's cosmetic, let it go. Because the moment mm-hmm. you touch something, you have a, a an element of failure, you know, a chance yep. for failure. So if you don't need to clean it, don't clean. However, if you are in the ever-growing masses of people who have come to the realization that the the amount of residue exceeds the tolerable residue, then you have to look at a cleaning process. And and Mm -hmm. let me just make this one point. I I started down this road earlier, and then I got sidetracked. Um, 
a lot of the flux companies will think I'm harping on the flux. Like, you know, and they're like, we don't, our stuff's pretty clean, which is absolutely true. But sure. keep in mind the decision to not remove the flux was a decision not to remove everything else. Yeah, right. That's right. That's absolutely right. And <laughs> I tell people, I harp on this. I said, do not call it a defluxing process. Because if you mm. refer to this as a defluxing process and someone tells you the flux doesn't need to come off, which may be true, mm-hmm. then you don't run a defluxing process. Change the, 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 the term to cleaning. It's a cleaning yeah. process. And yep. it's cleaning flux. And it's cleaning board fabrication residues. It's cleaning yep. hassle fluid residues. It's cleaning component fabrication residues, the mold release agents that can transfer from the reels to the components to the board. It's cleaning human residues. It's cleaning Dorito effect residues after 10, hey, no, 12, 30. Not allowed two. to eat Doritos on the floor. Exactly. Um, Especially now that we have to wear masks. That is the most disgusting thing in the world. Do oh. not eat Doritos and then put your mask on. I know. That I is can just... imagine the inside of the mask just looks... Oh. Gnarly, right? Oops. That is a terrible life decision. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Doritos are a are a fulfilling life life uh, decision, but probably not a good one either. You know, help yeah. Us. But um, so, if you don't need to clean, by all means, don't clean. But when the Grim Reaper starts knocking on your door, and it, it probably will at some point, mm-hmm. uh, then. I would recommend not changing your flux. Continue using what's worked well for you. And and you've got the profile down. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is it's not just, well, here's what happens. Let me, let me back up. People will set up a, a process qualification. Mm -hmm. They have a new, a new board, a new design, new materials, and they, they set up this little experiment, maybe DOE or or some kind of process qualification. And everything is perfect. The profile is perfect. The peak temperature is perfect. The, the boards are perfect. The component placement, the pressure on the printer, everything is perfect because it's a process yeah. qualification. And then they check the board. It's no clean. They check the board for contamination. They send it out to an analytical lab like Foresight and Kokomo or, or Process uh, Sciences or wherever. And they, they do a few thousand dollars worth of, of uh, localized extraction and ion chromatography. And they go, hey, this board's clean. You're good to go. Well, one of those labs, Foresight, just uh, produced a, a, a paper where they took that, that perfect reflow profile that produced residue results that were totally fine, well within the safe zone, no need to clean. And they lowered the peak temperature by 4%. So they lowered it from 250 to 240, 10 degrees, 4%. And resubjected those boards to localized extraction ion chromatography. And they had increases in residues up to 600%. Oh! 120% was the lowest. 600% was the highest. Increase. Now you're saying these are boards that did not get cleaned. So they sent their boards with no clean flux on yep. there. Yep. Okay. And when the profile was perfect, like it would be in a process qualification, when the fo- profile was perfect, the boards were arguably clean enough not to require cleaning. When they modified their their reflow process by 4% on peak temperature, they had boards that were exceeding what the lab considers reliable in terms of residue. Wow. So, you know, it's not... Great. Now you know what's going to happen, Mike. Everybody's going to be calling me to get their reflow profiles, you know? Yeah, 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 right. Cutting all this out. This is all getting cut out. Yeah. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the point. It's the people, the people, users who want to continue not cleaning. It's a perfectly sound strategy. It's just their process window is tightening. It, mm-hmm. it is tightening. And we can do one of two things. We can continue to tighten the process window and make it so we don't have to clean. And that is a pure economic you know, scale decision. Is it worth putting a little extra time and money and effort into uh, not having to clean because not having to clean maybe saves us a certain amount of money and the, the cost of tweaking up the process control is less than the, the cost of cleaning, then that's a, just mm-hmm. an economic decision. And that's a fair mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. If they realize if you're running three shifts and they realize that third shift, <laughs> spooky things happen more than first shift, uh, which is it, a phenomenon. And maybe throughput is a little bit more important than being within, you know, 4% on a reflow yep. profile where otherwise everything would be fine. Uh, then cleaning might just expand the process envelope because sure. yeah. if something did go wrong, don't worry about it. We're taking it off anyway. Right. Right. So yeah, eat Doritos over the board. No problem. We're going to clean it anyway. <laughs> don't suggest yeah. You hear that, Neil? We're going to eat Doritos. We're going to eat Doritos on the manufacturing floor now. Exactly. So yeah. that, I think that's a good summarization of the why and I think basically at the end of the day, every customer has to decide for themselves whether or not you know cleaning ends up being a requirement for their application and or whether or not they can get by with um, what we've been providing for them so far. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying our conversation with Mike. I thought it was great. I really loved learning about the history of circuit board cleaning and uh, why we've uh, decided to uh, clean circuit boards in the past and why we might decide to clean circuit boards more in the future. Uh, I was fascinated by it and Mike had so much to share. Well, he had so much to share that, uh, we decided to break this episode up into two parts. So the next episode that will come out will be mostly all about, uh, the how of cleaning circuit boards, how exactly we do that and, uh, what equipment it takes and what chemicals it takes and how to, you know, keep those chemicals out of our rivers and streams. And it was a great conversation. So I think you'll enjoy that too. Uh, until then, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Pick Place podcast. If you like what you heard, consider subscribing in your favorite podcast app and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part episode. Thanks also to Chris Denny and Melissa Hogue of Worthington and Circuit Hub, respectively. Check out the Pick Place podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other podcast sites. And while you're at it, be sure and subscribe to the Reliability Matters podcast, also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and virtually wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. Also, be sure and check out our newest podcast, the Concept to Creation podcast, where we have conversations with EMS industry entrepreneurs about their journey into business. They discuss their successes, failures, challenges, and inspirations, and provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. These are fascinating conversations with the leaders of our industry. We release new episodes of Concept to Creation on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Thanks also to Circuit Assembly's PCB Chat at pcbchat.com and Ascendo Reliability's reliability.fm for syndicating the show. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy, 
and keep doing it right. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.